Is this draft make or break for our boy Scott Fitterer? Let's talk about that. Good morning, Panthers fans. Good morning, world. Good morning to everyone who has love and hate filled in their hearts. Good morning to each and every one of you. God bless you. We are here on another beautiful Tuesday in the Carolinas or wherever you may be listening to this podcast. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Daily Panthers podcast. Yes, we, and by we, I mean me. I have episodes Monday through Friday, every weekday, so yeah, it's not daily, but I, the week daily podcast didn't quite come off the same way, didn't quite have the same ring to it, you know, the same panache, if you will, so just know that everything I say on this podcast is not sponsored, there is unsponsored, unsullied since 1989, just kidding, I totally stole that from the NBA, but Let's jump into it. Today we're going to be talking about Scott Fitterer, his track record, and where that may lead us into the 2023-2024 season, and the history that he has, and what that means for us. Uh, There's a lot of talk of Scott Fitterer being both sides of the coin, of an amazing GM. Panthers fans seem to love him from everything I see online. They really seem to like Scott Fitterer. Uh, But also what I found from fans is that they also just like activity. A lot of times fans just want their teams to do something, whether or not that's the best move for them, yet to be determined. But fans just love news about their own team. They love motion. It's kind of like a rocking horse, you know, it's moving back and forth. But is it going anywhere? That's the ultimate question you have to ask yourself about these moves, especially the moves that Scott Fitterer has made in the past and what that means for our draft. So what I'm going to do today is take a look back at his off-seasons, his transactions, and also the drafts that he has made since being here in 2021. This is year three for him as our full-time GM. This will be his second full season, though, since he did get signed back in, I think, February or so, late February, mid-February, so after the Super Bowl concluded or around that time, and... I think that's really hard for a GM to jump into a situation like he jumped into where the head coach has full control over personnel. The head coach has full control over um, over the players and the social media and is basically a dictator in a lot of ways outside of David Tepper himself. So I think that Scott Fitter to this point has gotten a pass because of the way that Matt Rule has had control. I think that Scott Fitter for the most part, is has done a good job, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. But you're not a good GM on paper. You're a good GM when the players that you put together win games. And Scott Fitter has yet to do that. But this will also be his first full season where we know without a doubt who is in control of the personnel moves. It's already started with all the moves that we made this offseason, and everyone seemed to be pleased with everything that was happening. I've heard a few gripes about a couple different signings, but if I've learned anything in life, it's that you're not going to make everyone happy. If you try to make everyone happy, you're going to make no one happy. And I think Scott Fitterer to this point, I wish he had a shorter name too, especially an easier one to say fit. I'll just say fit maybe. Uh, but to this point, he has done 
what he's needed to do. In power rankings, as far as GM goes, you'll see him in the bottom five of a lot of different mock-ups. But I think that his story is a deeper one than just what is on the surface because of that situation. I mean, you have one of the most involved owners in the sport outside of like Jerry Jones. I don't know that there are many other owners who are as involved from what I can see. I know I'm in a bubble here in North Carolina where I always see what's going on with David Tepper with the stuff that happened in South Carolina and then him pulling his weight to get an FCS team or not FCS, I'm sorry, MLS team into the Carolinas and throwing his money around. And then the talks about a new stadium. I mean, all of the different conversations. I think we've talked about David Tepper more in the past five years than we ever talked about Jerry Richardson in 25 years, aside from the last year that he was with us when he was accused of all those different things. Um, Whatever your opinion is about Jerry Richardson, he definitely stayed out of the spotlight much more than David Tepper. And I think Jerry Richardson also enjoyed making people happy and thought of like what people thought about him a lot more than David Tepper does. David Tepper's got that FU money where he's just a billionaire and he really doesn't care, doesn't have to care what other people think about him. Whereas Jerry Richardson, you know, obviously he's rich, but he's the, we're talking about the same guy who left the NFL logo on the field his entire time as the owner. And we didn't get a Panthers logo on there until David Tepper was the main man. And there's also a lot of, I'll go into a whole podcast about David Tepper. It would be very easy to fill time with him. Um, So I'll move on from this topic because that's not what I'm talking about today. But in five years, he has, for better or for worse, been talked a lot about a lot more than Jerry Richardson was in the totality of his tenure here. Um, But poor guy got a statue taken down. However you feel about that. and so today, though, we're talking about Scott Fitter. You know, he was originally signed over from the Seahawks. And the Seahawks have been a successful franchise. I'd say probably top 10 most successful franchises, with especially in the 2000s. They're probably like in the top five most successful franchises in terms of playoff success and overall wins i don't have the statistics in front of me as you know i don't look up stuff on this podcast mid podcast because it ruins the flow of everything and i can't know everything but just based off of my opinion and the playoff runs that we've had with the panthers i mean even in just the two playoff runs that the panthers have had to the super bowl they've played the seahawks i think it in one of them it was in the the nfc championship game they played the seahawks they lost that one actually and then that was one of their three or four big playoff runs. And then they played the Seahawks in their Super Bowl run in, I think, the divisional round. So I think that just those two alone. And then, you know, they had their run with Russell Wilson when they went to back-to-back Super Bowls. They won one, should have won two. So the Seahawks, I think that a lot of fans would take their history over their own teams, myself included, if the Panthers and the Seahawks were to switch franchise history, I would not be mad about it because, you know, they have that Super Bowl. And honestly, I think that everyone in the building knew they should have ran the ball. So should be really two Super Bowls at this point. Um, But anyway, so let's talk about Scott Fitterer. So he's been shielded by Matt Rule and no longer is that the case. And it's been made very clear to this point. And I think this was done intentionally that, Scott Fitterer is going to have full control over personnel. Frank Reich 
has discussed this with him. And um, they did say that Scott Fitter in tandem with Frank Reich and in tandem with David Tepper would be making the decision of who our quarterback is going to be. So there are some other voices in the room, but his name is the one that is on that bottom line. So when at the end of the day, he needs to have a good draft this time around. Um, let's go through some of his picks and what that means for him. I think that in a lot of ways, he has had a lot of good hits, a lot of good personnel that he's made, a lot of different moves that he's made that I really agree with. Um, but let's see how that impacts his drafts. So let's go back to 2021. This is when he first came in to be the GM and he made some moves. So this is kind of what it looked like for him. So starting off his first moves really of significance, he put Taylor Moten on the franchise tag. So first move, A plus, good job. Signed Greg Olson to a one-day contract to retire as a Panther. Signed Thomas Davis, one-day contract to retire as a Panther. Both A-plus moves. Um, so let's go through maybe some of the more significant ones. So we signed J.J. James into a one-year contract. That is pretty much a tradition at this point. Uh, we signed Cam Irving and Pat Elfline on basically like the first day of free agency. That was not something that a lot of people really backed at the time. And it's still not. And then we also terminated Trey Boston's contract, which personally I was fine with because I did not like him at that time being on our team. And then we signed Hassan Reddick, which turned out to be A+. Plus. So, so far, like really strong outside of those offensive linemen. Uh, but also, if you want to take the Matt Rule is to blame for everything approach, you can't say that and then turn around and say that Scott Fitterer is responsible for every good move that we made. So someone like Hassan Reddick, if he turned out to be bad, you would say that he was signed by Matt Rule and it was because of his Temple connection that he was signed and that's the only reason that he was there. But now that Hassan Reddick was good, people want to say, oh, Scott Fitterer is a genius. You got this like amazing. You can't do that. And I think that Hassan Reddick was probably more so a Matt Rule um, pickup because of that connection with Temple. So I don't know that I can give Scott Fitter credit for that one. But, you know, it's, it's all muddied at this point. It's all mixed together. And then we signed free agent tight end Dan Arnold. So out of all those free agents, I want you to listen closely to what positions they played and then what we ended up drafting. So we kept our tackle. And then we signed long snapper. And then... We signed two offensive linemen, an outside linebacker, a linebacker in Denzel Perryman. I think I forgot to mention him. And then David Moore. Doesn't matter, really. And then Dan Arnold. And then we also signed, after that, Frankie Louvu. And then uh, Micah Simon. I think he ended up getting cut. Um, I can't remember. But Frankie Louvu ended up being a big signing as well. So, And that was kind of an afterthought for people. No one really was talking about Frankie Louvu until the preseason later. So when he started showing out then and then later we acquired sam darnold via trade for second fourth and sixth round pick thank god that's behind us and then we signed a few other guys aj boye um that was the only one really of significance there and then we traded teddy bridgewater so that's kind of connected to the sam darnold pickup 
that we already made. So that's not really going to impact the draft at all. Then when it finally got time for the draft, we took J.C. Horn eighth overall in the first round of the 2021 draft. So under Scott Fitterer's watch, that was the first pick that we ever made. And then we did not have a second round pick. So um, he didn't really get a chance to show himself there. So we don't really know how he picks in the second round or what he's looking for. We don't have any trends there. Uh, But if you notice, compared to the free agents, I didn't say anything about a cornerback in any of that. Everything that I said, there was no cornerbacks to be found outside of A.J. Boye. But we knew that he wasn't going to be a starter. So out of all that, if you look at that, we didn't sign a quarterback that year. We signed or we drafted one. And then we made a move with the Browns to go. We acquired a second round pick, a third round pick from Cleveland for a second round pick and a fourth round choice later. So, and then we acquired a third round choice from Philly for a third round choice and a sixth round choice. And so in the third round, we drafted Brady Christensen. And then in, um, and then we drafted Terrace Marshall in the second round as well. So we drafted wide receiver and tackle there. And then we acquired 2021 second round choice. We made some trades to Chicago. So I'm not going to read out all of that. And then we drafted Chuba Hubbard in the fourth round. We drafted Tommy Trimble in the third round. So Chuba running back, backup running back at that time. We still had Christian McCaffrey. Uh, still backup running back material. And then we drafted Tommy Trimble in the third round as a tight end. Keith Taylor in the fifth round. Made another trade with Houston. Drafted Thomas Fletcher as a long snapper in the sixth round. And then Shai Smith, a wide receiver in the sixth round. So I don't think that you can necessarily utilize all of the draft to determine how that was impacted by free agency. Because after like the fourth round, I think you're really just going best player available. You're not really drafting for positions outside of maybe some special teams type of stuff. But drafting Thomas Fletcher was a dumb move in retrospect i think a lot of people know that especially with the players that were available there was offensive linemen that a lot of people wanted outside of gms i think a lot of people would have made the move to get an offensive lineman there uh, but we felt like we were good so this draft is kind of a big mess in terms of whose fault it is or who is to blame or who is to give credit to so going back to the first round you draft jc horn eighth overall you didn't really pick up a a premier cornerback over the season. And now looking back at that pick, we would really be up the creek without a paddle if we didn't have J.C. Horn because our depth at cornerback, as I spoke about yesterday, is totally shot in a, in a lot of ways because uh, we have injury on Dante Jackson. And then behind him, as we saw, we don't have a whole lot to offer. And I think that J.C. Horn, when he wants to sign that contract with us, All he has to do is pull up the tape from that Tampa Bay game, and he is going to get paid, period. So I think that the J.C. Horn pick was a great pick in the first round. Uh, We chose to go J.C. Horn instead of a quarterback at that point. Could have got someone like Justin Fields if we wanted to. So that's just something to consider there. And then we drafted Brady Christensen and Terrace Marshall Jr., so... We got ourselves a wide receiver. Terrace really hasn't had a chance to show out at this point. For some reason, he was in Matt Rule's doghouse. So I think that 
up to this point, we haven't really gotten a fair look. I think Terrace Marshall Jr. and Scott Fitterer have a lot in common in a weird way that they were limited by the man in the building who was making all the decisions. So at this point, we don't really know who Terrace Marshall Jr. is. We saw flashes last year, but again, with the QB play and DJ Moore really being the only one who's getting fed at that position, especially when Sam Darnold is the quarterback, then it's really hard to tell what's going on with Terrace Marshall. He's only had, let's see, Scott Fitter, I'm not Scott Fitter, Matt Rule got fired after like five games. So we've seen 12 games of him without Matt Rule in the building. So he's not in the doghouse. <laughs> so we haven't really seen him fully unlocked. So we'll see. But if you remember his time at LSU, he was not the top choice. He needs somebody to take that load off for him. Um, but, you know, you make the argument that DJ Moore took his targets. So you can't really make the argument both ways of the top guy takes the pressure off of him, but also takes his targets. I mean, I guess they could both be true, but you can't use them both as justification for him not showing out yet. So I think that a full off season without Matt Rule and then him knowing that he has potential to really make an impact, because right now, as it stands, he's our wide receiver, too. We've got Adam Thielen and then Terrace Marshall Jr. I mean, DJ Chark is in there and LaVishka Chenault, but Terrace Marshall Jr. has to make that jump to our second receiver. I think Adam Thielen right now is the top dog, but at 32, that age is getting up there, especially for a wide receiver. So we should see a jump from Terrace Marshall Jr. This is the year to do it if it's going to happen. So I'll be very interested to see what happens with that. We drafted Brady Christensen in the third round. And um, so this is where I feel like Matt Rule is kind of to blame because we drafted Brady Christensen and he said himself that he is like a second round guard, third round tackle. And then we proceeded to play him as a tackle for some reason. So... I don't know why that was a thing. I guess Fitter can only draft them. He can't control where they play. So, I mean, I think that's important to remember, too, that sometimes these players that Fitter drafts don't necessarily get utilized how he is either told that they're going to get utilized or how he himself would utilize them. So I think that's important to remember, too, is the player a good fit for the franchise? And then also, is he just a good player, period? So we drafted Tackle in the third round wide receiver second round cornerback in the first round so going back to those free agents that we signed we didn't really sign a big name free agent at the wide receiver position we signed a couple of journeyman offensive linemen and then we ended up drafting both of those positions in the draft later so you know, we, we picked them up free agency and we still drafted them. So there's still that potential this year to do that as well with different positions. And then we picked up Dan Arnold in free agency. And then we s drafted uh, uh, Tommy Trimble in the third round as well as tight end. So all that being said, what we sign in the offseason does not necessarily mean that we're not going to sign it in the draft. And then we drafted Chuba Hubbard, or rather, Matt Rule's wife drafted Chuba Hubbard in the fourth round, a guy who came out with injury history as a running back with a lot of mileage, who, to this point, I have nothing against the guy, but he cannot catch. He's not really a threat out of the backfield in the passing game. 
Maybe that has changed, but right now he's got bricks for hands. And with a name like Chuba, it's just very strange to me. I don't I like that name, but if you're gonna have a name like that and you're gonna be that notable, you gotta be good, man. You gotta be good. And coming out of Oklahoma State, he was never really on anyone's big board at that position. So it really just seems like Again, like you've seen in a lot of ways, Matt Rule is letting who he knows influence who he is picking. So that one is a pretty clear Matt Rule selection. So I'm not going to give that to him. But Tommy Trimble, this is going to be his prove-it year too. It's kind of interesting. These guys' careers are coinciding with Scott Fitterers because they started together. So you're starting to see in this year three, these guys, it's time for them to prove what they're worth. Brady Christensen has started to do that. I think that he's kind of helped anchor that line. Chuba Hubbard, this is going to be a prove-it year for him. I doubt it's going to be anything special because he's going to be backing up Miles Sanders. And if Miles Sanders says he's healthy, we have no reason to believe he won't, then Chuba Hubbard will not get the opportunities to really prove himself. But he could be a formidable backup running back, which is what he, in his defense, that's what he was drafted as, as a backup running back to CMC. And when CMC got hurt, he filled the role. Maybe not as well as some people had hoped, and maybe he wasn't doing the things that we had hoped he could do. He hasn't looked as explosive, but last year in Steve Wilkes' uh, run game, and the way that run game actually took off once Steve Wilkes was the coach with the focus on that, you know, Matt Rule talked about it for years of wanting to establish that run game and be physical, and he never did. Steve Wilkes comes in and does so. Chuba Hubbard kind of excelled, especially we saw him break out in a couple games, especially against the Lions when everybody was running wild against that defense. And then in the fifth round, we drafted Davion Nixon. That was a whiff. He's been dropped since then. He's not even on the team anymore. Anytime you draft a guy and he's off the team by basically the next year, then it's not. Not a good pick. Thomas Fletcher, we faked an injury for him to be put on IR. And that does happen. You know, it's part of the league. But there was really no reason to draft him either. We had the guy who's played the most games in franchise history, the longest streak ever. And there's really no reason to waste a six-round pick on that. Um, He had a really cool story and everything. And that phone call was really fun. But at that point, in the sixth round, you're drafting best player available. And Thomas Fletcher was not best player available. And there was, and it wasn't even a position of need. So he missed both things that you want that late in the draft. You either want best player available, in my opinion, that's all you want. Or you want a position of need. And that was neither. So that pick makes no sense. Then we drafted Keith Taylor in the fifth round. I mean, he's fine as a, as a depth piece, um, nickel corner piece. Uh, maybe some dime packages. He's not going to be anything that really elevates our team that much. Um, but he fills a role. And every player has to fill a role if they're going to be on the team. Not every single player is going to be a starter. It's not possible. Not every single player is going to be a major impact MVP candidate. You have to have those players who fill their roles and know their jobs. And then let's move on to 2022. So in 2022, we signed a kicker, we released A.J. Boye, and uh, we picked up a few other guys, and then we signed Austin Corbett at guard, Xavier Woods at safety, Rashard Higgins, eh, Deontay Foreman at running back, Damian Wilson, Johnny Hecker, Matt Ioannidis, we signed D.J. Mortar, contract extension, R.I.P. D.J., we miss you, 
And then we signed Bradley Bozeman, Dante Jackson, and then um, Corey Littleton and Justin Burrs. So, all that being said, I hope you kept up with all those positions. I need to stop saying that, all that being said. I don't even know what that means. But, so we signed positions of any kind of significance. We signed Austin Corbett, guard, safety, running back, uh, punter, defensive tackle, wide receiver, uh, center, and then cornerback. Those are the big ones. And then the safety in Justin Burris. So all of that. And then on draft night, as you most of you probably remember, we picked Iki Ikuanu in the first round as a left tackle. And then we did not have our second round pick. So I misspoke earlier. I'm sorry. When we traded for Sam Darnold, it wasn't that year's second round pick because that's what we, we picked TMJ with that pick. Um, so it was this second round pick that we no longer have. And then we basically we picked up Iki Ikuanu in the first round as a tackle so if you go back over what we picked up that year we did not pick up a tackle in free agency and that was a position of need as we all remember so that one was i think most people knew we were going tackle in that draft especially a draft that didn't really have those premier quarterbacks in it um, no one really won i think the first quarterback selected was like 20th overall which is probably one of the lower spots there was speculation that there might not be any quarterbacks selected in the first round after the top 10 teams top 10 teams passed on them and there was Malik Willis mocked in the top five which is why at this point I don't believe any mocks that I see especially in the way that GMs talk about mocks so I am not holding my breath on any mocks that I see at this point um, but Iki Aquano in the first round. That looks like a good pick right now. We still don't know whose pick it was, but at this point, that's that's all we have to go off of is so far it looks like a strong pick. And then we traded with New England, picked up Matt Corral in the third round. Unfortunately for him, I think that this is going to be a bad pick for the Panthers. I'm not sure why they did it anyway. Um, they took a flyer on a third round guy who clearly is maybe undersized and arm strength maybe a little bit lacking i mean it's a third round pick so you're you're gonna have some holes but i think that we had other needs at this point that were greater than drafting a quarterback in this position obviously quarterback was a major need for us at this point but i don't think that you get that in the third round in that draft it was already a weak quarterback draft um, and then we traded we did a little shifty with washington and we drafted brandon smith the linebacker in the fourth round and then sixth round we drafted amare barno so if you listen to my first podcast i was trying to remember his name i got it right barno and then cade mays in the sixth round he's looking like a good depth piece and then Kalen barnes in the seventh round so out of this draft you know this was a okay draft um, Iki Aquanu is looking like a good piece. Matt Corral is looking like a bust, whether it's his fault or not. It's kind of that Greg Oden thing of like, is it a bust if they were injured? I mean, they weren't, they didn't technically like underperform. They just got in a bad situation. So, however you want to use the term bust or it just didn't work out, Matt Corral's time in Carolina is over at this point, whether or not that is because he's going to be a backup or because we're going to trade him, he is not going to be the starting quarterback 
for the Carolina Panthers at any point unless we keep him and there's an injury. So I feel bad for the guy I do. He really didn't get a fair shake. Um, but, you know, maybe it'll work out somewhere else. Maybe there will be an injury. I hope not. I never want guys to get injured on any team. But that is something that I think all Panther fans need to come to terms with, that for better or for worse, Matt Corral's time in Carolina is over before it started. And it's not his fault. But with that Liz Frank injury, is that how you say it? Liz, Liz Frank? Liz Frank? I don't know how to say it. But with that type of injury, it's very difficult to come back from. It's just so, so fickle. Um, so I need to get a doctor to talk about all these injuries because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But from what I understand with the Liz Frank, it is not easy to come back from. Foot injuries are a problem. I'm pretty sure that's the same one that Cam Newton had too. So if you remember that. And then um, Brandon Smith is looking solid i mean we haven't really gotten a good look at him yet at this point he is a freak athlete i think he has one of the fastest 40 times out of any linebackers in the nfc so i think that he could be a really good weapon if he can get his chances so we'll see yet to be determined about brandon smith so ikiakuanu right now probably a b matt corral f not his fault but still an f brandon smith question mark amari barno question mark cade mays probably a solid B at the sixth round to get a depth piece for your offensive line. I think that that is a strong piece to get in the sixth round. So, you know, you got to grade these on a, on a curve. You can't grade them the same way that you grade your first round picks. Um, and Icky has been solid. He's had a few moments, but he's young and we never expected him to be an amazing pass uh, blocker. So, and then after that, we signed all those guys, and then we got Baker Mayfield in a trade. Obviously, we know that that did not work out. And then we ended up waving Thomas Fletcher. So it was over before that started as well. And then we signed a bunch of different guys. Got Lavishka Chenault in a trade and did a lot of different things. At this point, we have done all the things in terms of of signings we have signed every position we've made trades i mean scott fitter's got to be one of the most active gms in the league he always gives us the ability to talk about things that's what i love about him the most is that he is always active for better or for worse at least gives us something to talk about so after those two drafts you know you see a common theme here of drafting for need then drafting you know kind of randomly at this point there's not many many things that you can see and point to and say that is the trend but you can kind of see from that first year too we did sign a few guys if, if they're not looking like premier players or starters we draft those players so I think it's something where we hedge our bets where we sign someone who is maybe a tight end like a Hayden Hurst and then we draft a rookie to fill the spot as well so even though we sign a tight end I'm, I see us going tight end I see us going cornerback in the second round, quarterback. So I think in this draft coming up, that will be the answer. But let's go on to 2023, what we've done so far. We agreed to terms with Bradley Bozeman. We were re released Elf Line. Um, and we signed Hayden Hurst, tight end. And then we signed a couple defensive tackles. We signed a backup quarterback. We signed a safety. And we signed a wide receiver, a running back, and another wide receiver. So... 
I really don't see us going wide receiver in the second round with how many pieces we have now. I think maybe we go wide receiver in the third round and then tight end in the fourth round. So I could see us going quarterback in the first round, cornerback in the second round, uh, wide receiver in the third round, tight end in the fourth round, and then best player available after that, I think is probably going to be the best option for us moving forward. These things could change. And I don't have any insider information. I'm not Scott Fitterer, so obviously it's going to be up to him. But this is going to be the first time that he is responsible for everything. So you're not going to have Matt Rule to blame for this one. So far, I think people are pleased with what has happened So, like up to this point. There are a lot of people torn about that trade-up for the first-round pick. Basically, what is happening is Scott Fitter is placing the bet on his future on this first overall pick. If this first overall pick works out, Scott Fitterer will be here to stay. If the first overall pick does not work out and this player is a bust, Scott Fitterer will be gone before the end of next season. And that's just how it is. This is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And at this point, these draft picks... They have not performed to the level that's got Scott Fitter in a place where he can feel safe and he can feel secure in his job because you know he hasn't done anything really that different than what other GMs at the Panthers have done. He's hit on first round picks, and then after that, you know we don't have a whole lot to hang our hat on in a lot of ways, and that's a sample size thing. That's an injury thing. That's a lack of assets thing, but. As the GM, you're responsible for the trades and the draft picks. And we have such a weird situation that we had with uh, Matt Rule in that we don't know who is responsible for what. So I don't know who to be mad at. I don't know who to be glad at. You could see some different things that were clearly Matt Rule, but again, those were both good and bad. Where you have guys from Temple who worked out and guys from Temple who did not work out. You have guys that he drafted that you see like he was really pumped about in the draft confidentials and then you have guys who uh, maybe he wasn't so pumped about that ended up working out so it's really hard to tell at this point it's really hard to evaluate scott fitterer's tenure as our gm but i think the best thing to do right now is just equate it to wins how many wins has have his players gotten for us and once Matt Rule left those players looked a lot better than they did before he was here or before when he was here so I think that that says a lot for Fitterer in his case I think that he might not be on the hot seat this year he's definitely his seat is warm and it is heating up quickly if we don't see some significant moves this season I think if we don't see a playoff berth or close to it with the way the division is I think that Fitterer will have a prove it year I mean this is a pretty big prove it year for him too because you also have to look at the moves that he did not make in his evaluation as a GM he did not trade Brian Burns for two first round picks to the Rams so there's some key moves here that Scott Fitter is betting his tenure on he's betting his tenure on Brian Burns Jeremy Chin um JC Horn and not DJ Moore he is said with his moves, maybe not with his words, but he has said with his moves, I am betting my job on Brian Burns and this first overall pick at quarterback 
and J.C. Horn. Those are the three cornerstones of this franchise that he is betting his job on. You know, that's his choice. Um, and he's traded a lot of assets to get us to this point and denied some assets for us as well. And I don't know if I agree with it at this point. Well, you know, it'll all work out in time. But it's really hard to not make that move for Brian Burton's. It's just something to think about. I don't know. Two first-round picks is a lot for someone like Brian Burns. But also an edge rusher in this league is very valuable. But also, Brian Burns is about to get paid. So we're going to have to pay this man soon. But also, you have to pay some players. You don't win games by having a lot of cap space. I think a lot of people are just very concerned about cap space. And it was just cap space, cap space, cap space. And then suddenly we have like the second most cap space in the league. So... It's not something that I would worry about personally ever um, because we have a guy in our front office who knows what he's doing and so does every other GM in the league and some of them just choose to take different strategies like the Saints. I'm still not totally sure how they keep signing people but you know you kick the can down the road far enough eventually you'll find it but I just don't see the Saints ever finding it at this point. It's been years. Uh, but I'll be very interested to see. And one thing Scott Fitterer has working for him as well is how weak this division is. So if this division continues to sputter, I think that he is going to have a great opportunity here to take advantage of that. And if we make the playoffs because of this weak division, I mean, there's six wins up for the taking, regardless of how bad we are. Because no other team in this division has made moves like we've made. And no other team in this division has made signings that really scare me like that. So... I'm I'm really like feeling confident about the Panthers just by default because the Falcons have not made any major moves. Bucks have made major moves in a negative way in a lot of ways. I mean they they've signed a lot of guys who they needed, but they lost their main piece in Tom Brady. And then the Saints it'll really just depend on Derek Carr. Honestly, the Falcons still don't have it figured out at quarterback either. They may make they may be making some moves, but I'm glad that they did not sign Lamar Jackson because. Uh, every freaking time we had to face Mike Vick, I always got so annoyed because he's so freaking fast and he runs around all over the place. So I'm glad that they did not sign him. But as for the rest of the division, I'm not really worried about them. And I'm sure they're not worried about us either. But I think that that just means that the division is up for grabs and we're the ones making moves right now. And if we can find that piece, that last quarterback piece, it can put us in a position to take this division for the next 10 years i mean just think about that the panthers could win the division for the next 10 years if they could just get the quarterback position figured out that's a big question mark but it's true it's true if they can get this quarterback position filled out figured out then there's a lot of stability here in carolina and stability equals wins and stability equals culture and culture is a good thing to have and i think the panthers have been lacking it to this point in the last couple of years with matt rule at the helm and I think um, Scott Fitterer sees that too. And if you think about it, these aren't just moves in a vacuum. These these GMs, these front office people are people. They have jobs to worry about. They can't wait around. You know, we're fans. We have the whole future of the franchise ahead of us. You know, they come and go. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, we fire them all. That's always the answer. Uh, but these are real people, and they need to make moves right now to win right now. They can't wait around. Because his tenure is coming on its third year. If he doesn't make a move right now, when is he going to make a move to save his job? 
And I think next year the price to move up is going to be much higher. And I think he saw the writing on the wall that the Panthers are not a bad team. They're an average team. And average teams don't get the first overall pick. Especially when you have other teams who are tanking for Caleb Williams or Drake May. It's going to be much harder to move up. I think if that would have been the case this year, we would not have been able to move. Or we would not have been able to move for the price that we moved. So in this division, we're just getting free wins at this point, And it's hurting our draft stock. So we had to make a move at some point. And it's you can't just wait around for the perfect situation. That's not going to come. People weren't taking for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he went like, what, 10th overall? So the answers are there even when you don't see them. It's just a matter of taking your shot. And it might not be a perfect situation, but those perfect scenarios rarely ever happen. Rarely ever do you get a situation where, like the Colts had, where your star quarterback gets injured, you go 1-15 and you get to pick a, a generational talent at first overall without having to trade at all you know those things don't happen often it's very very rare otherwise i mean if you think about the other guys in the nfl there are a lot of guys who are 1.1 first overall and there's a lot of guys who are in later rounds and i think that that says a lot about talent evaluation in the nfl and how it's not an exact science it's not an exact art you know it's a little bit of luck too so i'm rooting for scott fitter i'm rooting for this front office because if they do well Then we win games and we do well. And it's a lot more fun to be a Panthers fan when we're winning. So thanks for listening today. I hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday. Tune in tomorrow for more Panthers content. Again, it's Daily Panthers Podcast. My name is Wes Taylor. I hope you have a great day. See ya.